least, uh, we have the opportunity to hear from some international workers who have been uh, serving God in the Middle East. Can't really say where because we're online. Uh, but you will be here. You'll be able to see. In fact, we want to encourage you, if you don't usually come to uh, Kingdom Builders, that next Sunday uh, during our Kingdom Builders time, they will be sharing with us all in here. So encourage you to come. Uh, and, and there'll be even some opportunity for questions and answers. It's time for you to uh, speak with them and know uh, some things that they may not be able to say uh, as in much detail later, uh, even during the service, because it will be online. There will be a lot that they'll be able to share with us, but uh, I think that 9 o'clock you'll get even more uh, of what's going on right there in the Middle East uh, with the... Uh, with a country that has a majority religion that is uh, different. So we, uh, we look forward to that. We want to uh, come before the Lord here. If you would look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, and we'll begin reading again in verse 11. Read to the end. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds, Flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders of the flesh and all people, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of, on that horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophets who had performed many miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword so that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Let's pray. Father, we open up your word. We open up our hearts, our minds to hear from you this day. And in so doing, for some that's a more difficult task than others because of just things that are weighing and burden upon their minds, upon their hearts. But Lord, you have promised to help to carry those, even to carry us through these times. We just ask that you'd meet each one in need this day, letting them know the reality of your presence and the reality of your promises. Oh, we think of, uh, of different ones who need your move and your work, your continued work. We think of uh, 
days as he recuperates, as uh, Frida of uh, Jim Westlake and his family, and many that are traveling and so many others that are, are just experiencing Times that may seem like the fire or the flood. But I thank you. Your promise is you will be with. Them through all of this. That we will get through with you. Even in this today. Lord help us to recognize. As we talk about this today. For many who are listening the application directly to our lives is not something that we have to worry about. But we do need to know about, and ultimately we do need to know you. And so, speak Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds that we might be different leaving than when we came, not because of my words, but because of the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Move and work, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I'm reminded of a game, Hide and Seek. How many ever played Hide and Seek? Come on, right? Hide, hide and Seek. That's where the person that's it starts counting, you know, Got to hide your eyes, starts counting while everyone else goes and hides. And when that person is done counting, they uh, obviously shout out, what? Ready or not, here I come. Right? Ready or not, here I come. Well, there are many people right now that are doing a good job of trying to hide from God. But the day will come for those who are playing God games with God when Jesus will stop counting. And up in heaven, he will rise up and for all intents and purposes, he will say, ready or not, here I come. And in that day, no one will be able to hide. And as we talked last week about the second coming, it will not be the same as the first. In fact, Many will take the words of Jesus here that he is coming back as a threat, but it is not a threat. He doesn't make threats. It's a promise. And for many, it's a promise not looked forward to, as we see here in Revelation chapter 19. And so it brings us to the question, are we really ready or not for Jesus to come back? Are we really ready or not for Jesus to come back? Why? Why even ask that question? Because Jesus will be ready to come back and do battle. Are we really ready? Because Jesus is going to be ready to come back and not just come back, but to do battle. Verse 11, back in chapter 19, and you'll want to keep open to that chapter as we'll be referring back and forth to it. In verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice, he judges and makes war. The heavens open up, not to pour out blessings, but to pour out a battle-ready army. And leading the way, not to save the day, but to take the day, riding down into war is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, ready to do battle. Not something everyone's 
ready for or even looking forward to. We read in Revelation earlier in, verse, in chapter 1, Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him and all the tribes on the earth will wail on account of Him. When they see Him, that is not something they're looking forward to. Because He's coming to do battle, they will wail. When they see Him, Jesus will be coming down, there will be no backing down. It will be a visible, literal coming of Christ that Jesus himself spoke of in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30 he says then will appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory you know if we were just to call out this scripture up here and the one I just read by itself somebody like why would anybody mourn or why would anybody wail when jesus coming that's like well that's great it's coming on the clouds we sing a song like that oh it's just a woo you got to put it in context of revelation 19 here you got to put it in context of this is a jesus who's coming back to do battle we read in verse 14 of revelation 19 the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. This is not just Jesus riding down into battle. This is a time where you could actually shout for real, Avengers, assemble! Right? Because these are the Avengers, so to speak, of God, bringing the wrath of God, as he talks about even in verse 15 here, and the whole wine press and all that kind of stuff. You notice in verse 14, who is it that makes up these armies? Those who are riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. Who's that? Revelation 19, earlier in the same chapter, if you look at verse 6, you see, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. So we see who those are. Who are the part of the ones coming down with him? Are the saints. Uh, we've noticed in the, uh, noted in the past there's a difference between the rapture when Jesus comes for his saints and the second coming that is described here in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes with his saints. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or in chapter 3, sorry, verse 13, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones or saints. When he comes, that's what's going to be happening. But it's not just the saints that will be riding down as a part of this holy army. That in itself would be amazing. And obviously, we believe that before this moment, even for those dependent on where you're at in pre, mid, or post-tribulation, rapture, and all those kind of things, even for those who would say, when Jesus is coming down, he will be coming down with us because he will already have come for us in the rapture. He'll already come for us, even if you put it all together, he comes for us first and then makes the big swing around and comes down, at the very least. But it's not just us. 
Jesus says in Matthew 25 on the screen, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Jesus is coming back to do battle with His saints and with all the angels. In verse 19, Jesus is coming to do battle. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider of the horse and his army. You see, Jesus is not just coming down to do battle like, okay, I just decided to do this. Man's already lined up for battle. War has already begun. Jesus is not coming to... Jesus is, in a sense, I guess we could say this. Jesus is coming to finish what we started. Those who ultimately are coming against him. And note, it seems that technically there are a series of battles with different people and different nations aligning themselves against others, including with the beast and against Israel and all of this time leading to ultimately coming against God Almighty. But there will be a huge battle with huge armies and a huge number of people. And some of the armies that are gathered at this big battle will be a part of that 10-nation confederation that we've talked about in Revelation 13 a while ago that aligns themselves with the beast or the Antichrist and others joining in with that. Although it seems that at this point in time, the tight control that the Antichrist, uh, the beast had over the world starts to wane. And within that tribulation, it starts to lose its grip and some start to rebel. And the beast goes, of course, to crush the rebellion. And so there's battles and going on with that and having to do with that. Ultimately, though, in all of this, let's remember, as we read in Revelation 16 a while ago, that this is ultimately because of Satan coming against the rule and leading people to come against the rule of God Almighty. It is believed that there are armies of nations that will come from from the south, from Africa perhaps, gathering to, to Israel and into and, and Jerusalem. And there are those who are coming from the, the north uh, by Russia and, and communist countries. And then don't forget about the east, in all of this talk of what takes place in this final battle, you'll hear words such as Gog and Magog. And it's important to note that as you start to look at that, that there are two different applications of Gog and Magog because there are two different references. It's not just one thing. It, it, it means so much more than that. But there is two different references at two different times, one of which is going to happen later. When you think about a battle that deals with that, it's going to happen later in Revelation 20. So as you're listening to somebody who's giving you, oh, this is Gog and this is May and this is going to happen. You got to, well, wait a minute. Okay, this is what I read in Revelation 19. This is what I read in 20. You can't put Revelation 20 before 19 here. You got to keep it all together. Nonetheless, in many of these things, it, it, you track things back biblically. And there are other places that it talks about these things, like Magog noting that he was a grandson of, of Noah a thought to have settled in the north. That's why they're going with this. The modern day prophecies would say, then this north, the kings and all, all the things coming, are, are, is communist Russia that will eventually rise up against Israel. And in this big battle, there will be others that will be a part of the players. We've already said who's coming with Jesus, but the ones who are here uh, who will be lining up against Jesus. What about Babylon? 
you hear about Babylon in the end times referenced in Revelation, but you know Babylon is referenced all the way back to Genesis with Nimrod and the kingdom of Babel and really symbolically uh, through all of that, but literally as well, these were those who rejected and rebelled against God from the very beginning. No, not long ago, Babylon came to the forefront uh, with Saddam Hussein, uh, where he seemingly wanted to be Nebuchadnezzar II and and portrayed him rebuilding Babylon in modern-day Iraq. Uh, some would say this Babylon is 50 miles south of Baghdad, by the way. But there was a big deal made by prophecy experts. And in some ways, a big deal made but ignoring some big Bible verses. But nonetheless, a big deal made. And all the talk of Babylon being rebuilt, and this is going to be the whole, and it's the end, and... The reality was only about 5% actually came about as far as getting rebuilt, and then the war happened and took out most of that. In all these things, I'm not saying that everybody's wrong in what they're saying about what's going to happen. It's just that some go too far with too little support with their facts that they're telling you and claiming the end times, this is here, when really we need to take a close look to determine how much of what we're hearing from some of these people out there is speculation Versus, what do I say? Interpretation and understanding that. And in fact, I find it interesting, if not ironic, that as you look at the history of Christian prophecy books that are are written, uh, along with other stuff, explaining how the the tribulation is going to happen, explaining who's doing what and what's going to happen in the end times, and, and they take what's happening in today's world Whatever, whenever that was in today's world and the scene, and they, they put it in their popular teaching books and say, this is what it is. It, it's not just something that's happening right now. It's something that was happening 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and before that. And they end up having these statements of what's exactly going to happen. Here's how the end's going to happen. Here we can just see it. This is the scene. This is what's going to happen. And they say, this is it for sure. And just wait a little bit, and those books become obsolete. Not just because those things didn't happen, but because those people who wrote the books wrote new books with completely different theories that are contradicting the old ones and the obsolete. But nobody ever calls that. You know, nobody ever somehow brings that up. You know, uh, for, for example, many, many decades ago, uh, Russia, there, there was no doubt among people's mind that Russia, the Cold War time and, and beyond that, was the coming from the north is Magog and it was going to bring the battle to end all battles with the threat of nuclear destruction. They were going to be the main enemy of Israel. And then Russia, the, the whole Soviet Union thing in history, ran into some trouble. Russia suddenly took a step back on the national stage, so to speak, less threatening And so the prophecy books that started being written and coming out no longer focused on Russia being the big, bad, end times, bad guy, enemy. Instead, all the prophecy books started focusing on Arab nations and their rise is the main threat to Israel and the main threat to all that's going on with their books and their videos. And that went on for a couple of decades, even to the point that ironically you hear some circling back now to Russia because supposedly Russia has risen back up in the power and what they're doing and what they're probably going to do and the threat that they are. So what is it? Who is it? Please understand, I'm, I'm not against all speculation. 
oh, this might be or that might be. But I think so many times it becomes a distraction from our relationship with Christ and growing in him. Let alone going with God's word where we need to go instead of just getting the fascination. We want to learn and we want to know more of where our fascination is that often leads just to speculation when it should be an interpretation that leads to a transformation. Are you with me? This is what needs to take place. And if Jesus were to tarry, if he were to delay his coming for another 50 or 100 years, we're hoping not, but if he were to do it for another 50 or 100 years, what would the prophecy books be saying then? Who is the enemy? Who is the one? Because it just keeps changing. We've got to recognize there are some things that we do not know, and there are some things that God has specifically said that we will not know. But in this, do not miss this. In this, there are things God has very clearly and specifically said that we can know, which is why we're trying to hit end times 101. You know, there are some things that we can know and be ready for. And we think about this big battle, the final human conflict where battle lines are are coming to Israel, bent on destroying Israel, including the beast and the Antichrist, who initially made the peace treaty, remember, with Israel, in a sense, lulling them to sleep for the first time ever, there'd be peace, a sense of peace that is there. But, and, and after all, that's what we should be praying for, the peace of Jerusalem, right? So we're praying for this, and then it comes, hey, it must be of God. Or not. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. And on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. We should note that while we believe that what I'm talking about is an actual literal war taking place on this earth, because Jesus will actually, literally, physically come down out of heaven and fight the battle here and set up his kingdom. There are a numbers in churches all around us who do not actually see this that way, do not see an actual, literal, physical thing happening. And therefore, this whole talk about getting ready doesn't really matter. But, but let, let's... Let's keep moving as we think of this. Are we ready, really ready or not for Jesus to come back? Because not just Jesus will come to do battle, but because Jesus will be ready to come back and take no prisoners. Now, what is described here in Revelation 19 seems hard to take. That Even that phrase, for me just to put that up there. He'll be coming to take no prisoners. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, we, God's grace and and... and Yes, but for those who reject that grace, they must face judgment. God was never unclear about this fact that judgment was coming despite the fact that we might not necessarily want to see this. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, Surely the day is coming. It will burn. And it's not like a day. The day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. 
The day is coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left them. This is what he said. Even back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That is the fact, Jack. It is coming that it, everyone will die and face judgment. Yeah, but, 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 but God is love. I mean, uh, John 3.16, right? Yes, right. But read the whole context there. In John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise God. For God, in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Yes, yes. But to save the world through him. Yes, yes. We've got to keep saying yes as we go into verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Yes, yes. And whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We've got to say yes, yes there too. We've got to understand who God is in all of this. It's clear from the start. Jesus is coming back. And at that time, it's not just a statement of facts. For some, it will be a warning. It was coming back to finish what, what he started. Jesus finishes the fight. All those uh, today crying out for justice. Guess what? It's coming. Justice is coming because he is coming to right all wrongs. Some want to know, why is it that evil seems to prosper? Why do they seem to get away? People seem to get away with things and, and nothing ever happens to them. Well, nobody is getting away with anything. What goes around comes around. It will be coming around because he will be coming around. He's coming back. And there's a sense in which this that we're talking about here is a world war, especially the latter part here of chapter 19. The greatest world war ever. Technically, we cannot say that it's the war to end all wars because there's still one more battle that has to take place in the millennium. Right after the thousand-year reign against Satan, the dragon uh, himself. But Revelation 19, this world war is talking about here, is first and foremost a battle against the unholy trinity. We talked about it a, a while ago, the, uh, the unholy trinity, which is the beast or antichrist, the false prophet, and the dragon or sant, uh, Satan. Suffice it to say that along these lines, the, both the beast and the false prophet are taken care of permanently. Look in verse 20 in our Revelation 19. But, in verse 20, but the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Note, as far as it deals with them, no prisoners. We were thinking through this. Ironically, the first ones cast into hell are the ones who made it feel like that through the tribulation. The beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire, the fire that's a symbol of God's judgment to punish the wicked. They're thrown alive, not killed in battle, not passing go, not collecting $100, but go, going directly to hell the final place of punishment for all those who will not bow down to Christ as king. This lake of fire was the plan originally for the devil and his angels, Jesus says in Matthew 25, but in fact it is 
the place for all those who are unrepentant, for those who are in rebellion to God, to those, it will say, as it says in verse 15 of chapter 20, to those whose names are not written in the book of life. Who have not received eternal life, become a part of God's forever family and following him. Notice it says in verse 20 that I just read in chapter 19 and verse 20, it says they were thrown alive. Making clear that they will be completely aware of what's going on. Completely aware and suffering torment forever. And so will everyone else to follow them. Therefore, death, especially we're talking about death when we choose not to take life in Jesus. Death should not be thought of as resulting in annihilation. In other words, some seem to think, I don't know if you ever heard someone and talked with someone and say, well, when I die, I just cease to exist. You know, and, and if I'm wrong about this, then I'll miss out on heaven. But you know what? I'll just miss out. That's all. No, that's not all. The whole point of hell is that you will continue to exist. You will continue to exist eternally, forever, suffering torment. And this picture is being presented here is one of burning sulfur is only a partial description of what in our minds is thought of in the physical kind of pain thing. But the suffering that will take place will be gone be beyond anything that is physical. There is no horror film that could ever come close to portraying what's going to happen in hell. Just in the same way as we think about heaven, there is no way we recognize, there's no way we could really imagine completely or, or grasp how great heaven will be, how how amazing heaven and all that's going to be there. We just, we recognize, I, I don't think I could ever imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. And we got some things, but I'll never come close. We will also never come close to imagining what it's going to be like in hell. Not really. We can put descriptions, but we will not come close to those who will experience that. We'll cover more of that as we think about the final judgment later on. But in Revelation 19, it says Jesus is coming to take, I mean, we're saying Jesus is coming to take no prisoners, so to speak. It's not the only place we think about Revelation chapter 17. They will make war on the lamb. We're talking about everybody else. They'll make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Jesus defeats the, not only the enemies of hell, as we think about the false prophet and the beast, but he moves on in battle. Jesus also defeats the armies of the earth. You see, the nations that exist in this world will not be something that will continue into the next, including the United States of America. All will be judged in this world. This should not be a surprise as in many ways God's been judging nations throughout history, raising them up, taking them down. Jesus is going to finish the fight with man, so to speak, as all the governments of the world will be defeated and everyone will be bowed down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at the battle that takes place at that battle. As we think about this, the battle taking place at Armageddon. Now, Armageddon, we've heard that it's a specifically biblical word or concept, and yet 
in our modern day and age, it's been used in different ways that uh, are not really the biblical way. In other words, you, you usually hear that. I mean, is, think of Armageddon, you're thinking of the end of the world, the apocalypse, Armageddon. I mean, even there was a movie that was actually called that, right? Remember that being about, you know, after discovering that the asteroid the size of Texas is going to impact the Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. Right? That's not, that's not the apocalypse. It's not Armageddon. That's not the end of the world. Armageddon is not about the end of the world. In fact, after Armageddon, this battle, this world will continue on for another thousand years. In fact, the word Armageddon is only used in one place, actually, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. And they gathered together to the place in Hebrew is called Armageddon, written in the Greek, Armageddon, but really a transliteration out of the Hebrew, thinking of a, a mount or a hill. It's really a mount, but it, there's not a mount, so we say, they, you know, people would say it's kind of like a hill of Megiddo. Now, whether that is or the exact location is not to be certain, but many would say it is the, the plain up on the hills and the plain on the plain of Megiddo, which is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. You know, one of the reasons to say that is because there have been many battles that have taken place there, even battles in the Bible that took place there and seeing that, that it could happen again. So here are these huge armies coming at each other, right? From heaven, coming at each other from earth. What do you think is going to happen? Now, we know it's going to happen, but I mean, if you were just reading this for the first time, how fair is that battle? I mean, some kind of, you've got to be questioning. Jesus is riding down on a horse. And he's only carrying a sword. You know, in the movies, you know, maybe that's cool, you know, when they're got, everybody else has got a sword, but we're talking about him coming in his day and age where there are mighty men, weapons, bullets, bombs, and by the time he does come, maybe there'll be even bigger and better kind of weapons. But it, it tells us in verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Some see this as the proverbial taking a knife to a gunfight. But this is no ordinary sword. It's a concept that we're still, for some reason, not getting even in our day. Something I've mentioned before, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. As 2 Corinthians 10 tells us, for they have divine power to demolish strongholds. How we do battle depends on where we do battle. How we do battle depends on where we do battle. Is it with our hands and our feet and just getting in there, or is it on our knees? We have got to grasp there is a difference in what we're trying to accomplish for God on this earth cannot be done with our hands and our feet solely and with our own power. It must be something more. 
we, we limit our thinking then into the, the end times to just natural means and natural interpretations, and we neglect the supernatural so that the weapons that we're going to fight with, the weapons that Jesus is going to fight with even in this final uh, war with people, so to speak, that Jesus is going to fight with will not be the weapons of the world. God fighting our battles is nothing like us fighting battles. God is not just better. God is not just stronger. But God is completely different from us, and he fights completely differently. Flesh versus spirit. And it seems like Jesus is the only one who's actually fighting in this battle. Here's this thing. you got these two huge armies, uh, you know, all the saints and all the angels came down. But all we hear as we read about is Jesus is the only one fighting. Not a big, probably not a big, long, drawn-out battle with losses on both sides. None of that kind of stuff. There was no contest. And what we see is there are no prisoners. Look at verse 21. The rest of them. The rest of them mean they've already taken care of the unholy. He's already taken care of the beast and the false false prophet. But now the people. The rest of them were killed. No prisoners. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. By the sword from Jesus. Uh, we know that word used for sword is an unusually long one that pierces through, but that judgment will be swift and quick. And, and in a sense, perhaps, perhaps there will just be one swing of his sword and all will be killed that day. Man's power destroyed by divine power. It, it's really not hard to imagine that that could happen that way. We read in Second Kings in chapter 19, Specifically in verse 35, but in 2 Kings 19, uh, about how 185,000 men of Sennacherib's Assyrian army were killed by an angel. 185,000 were killed by an angel, thus saving Hezekiah in Jerusalem. It should not be a surprise of what's happening and what's written here. Psalm 110, verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Does that sound familiar to what we're talking about right here? The rebellion is destroyed. The guilty are punished. What were they thinking? Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 29. See, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name and Will you indeed go and punish? You will not go and punish, for I am calling down a sword on all who live on the earth. I'm calling down a sword on all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. Now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against this land. He will shout like those who tread grapes, shout against those who live on the earth. The tumult will sound and resound the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He will bring judgment of all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. This is what the Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. At that time, those slain by the Lord will be everywhere from one end of the earth to the other. They will not be mourned or gathered or buried. 
but they will be like dung lying on the ground. So much like what is described here in this Revelation 19 scene. The storm is coming, ready or not. Here he comes. He's coming back. Now some would say, Jesus is coming back and he's ticked. You know, I think there was a bumper sticker like that or something. I don't remember what exact said, but you know, Jesus is coming back and he's ticked. He's angry. You don't want to mess with him. You better watch out. You better not pout. Jesus Christ is coming to take you to town. I, I think saying that he is angry, that his wrath is going to be poured out, is a truth regarding the coming judgment. But this whole thinking that, boy, is he angry. And the way we say it is not really true when we mean anger in a sense of a human emotion, especially an imperfect human emotion. And oftentimes when we think about this anger that we're talking and that some are describing, he's really ticked, he's coming. It's really, we think of this undisciplined, uncontrolled, red-faced veins popping, right? Popping out of your neck and the person just flipping out. It's not that. This is not doing it in that kind of anger. This is just something that needs to be done. He's doing what he said he would always do. God is angered by wickedness of man. But this picture of this angry, red-faced Jesus striking people down with a frown, or even more so, some stinging, satisfying smile on his face that he's finally getting to wipe these people out. God's anger is not a human emotion that often leads to sin. Now, there are a number of things that could be said here, but perhaps responding to those who might in and there really are those, maybe nobody here, but there are those who read these things like Revelation 19 and just kind of rub their hands together in gleeful joy. <sighs> payback time's coming. Yeah, Jesus is going to bring the payback. It's, it's coming. That's not a true picture of God's heart. Yes, punishment must come down on those who do, did not accept Jesus taking their punishment for them. Ezekiel tells us in chapter 33, verse 11, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. All right, so, so we read this, and he takes no prisoners and all this stuff, but let's keep the whole picture of God. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not what God wants for your life, but there's not much that he can do in that sense that ultimately... It does come down to a choice that is up to us. Hear God's heart in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. That's what he wants. That's not necessarily what they want, but he wants all to come to a knowledge, to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all people. And so even as we think about this passage and this whole thing of Jesus coming down and what takes place here, I, I don't feel the need to, Preach this yelling and screaming and 
get red face and you know and just kind of i'm not sure i gotta make my i can't not sure i make i might hurt my back you know and in 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 trying to do this because it's a matter of just preaching the facts and if we want to talk about the feelings the feelings of this it shouldn't be a red face it should be a face covered with tears doesn't take delight in this but ready or not here he comes and unfortunately there are way too many who will not be ready the whole world seemingly gathered in war against a common enemy jesus will experience a total utter defeat by the one that they cannot beat how bad is it look at verse 17 and i saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice and all the birds flying in midair come gather together for the great supper of god so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals of mighty men of horses their riders the flesh of all people free and slaves small and great and verse 21 tells us the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider and the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh you add to this the picture of verse 15 in the wine press the sense of the blood that's flowing, the spatters on the robe of King Jesus that we thought could be that of his enemies, the winepress of his fury will be a bloodbath of the wrath of God Almighty. Nothing will be left except vultures and a disturbing picture of bodies laying there, not buried, which there the day and age when this is written that would have been even more shocking than it is today but a picture of a great banquet of God, so to speak, as opposed to earlier in chapter 19, the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Which picture are we going to be a part of? You know, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Are we ready or not? Because he's coming. Ask the worship team to come on up. Are we ready or not? I know many of us here today would say, well, I've made that decision. I, uh, Jesus has taken my punishment so I don't have to face that. And I know that. I want you to know for certain, the Bible wants you to know for certain about this. But I don't think we assume that everyone really that's here, and I don't want us and everyone here already knows that and is sure of which scene is going to be theirs. But let's just think about for the rest of us here. I mean, there are so many. We are, I, and I don't know how a message like this leaves you. Wow, that was exciting. And I, you know, we're ready to come and celebrate. I mean, we would be, I mean, it would be a little weird right today, maybe, but we'd be ready to come and celebrate the coming of Jesus, the baby in the manger. Oh, we love hearing that every year. 
but Jesus, the righteous judge in battle coming? I just want to encourage us as we think, you might think, well, I'm safe from all this. That's not our only point. The point is that we worship who God is, fully understanding all of who he is and who he really is. If all we think is this humble little baby in the manger, or all we think of just Jesus on the cross, he is so much more. And to worship all. And so we have opportunity, even as we sing this song and this praise time, to praise him for who he is, recognizing the one who on the first coming and the second coming is still Jesus.